Hey, this is Ryan Grimes here with Doug Carr on Off the Circle. Today, we're talking about the Internet of Things, all the things that connect your network and hopefully make your lives easier. Listen to indie-based entrepreneurs and business people, their experience and expertise. Have some laughs and learn along the way on this episode of Off the Circle, the Indianapolis business scene like you've never heard it before. Hey everybody, welcome back to Off the Circle with uh, Ryan and I, and we have a we have a packed house today. We're actually going to share mics around the table. How's that? Six mics isn't enough. So uh, you might get tired of us talking today. It's, it's We're going to have a good show. Uh, uh, I'm going to, we'll, well, let's start out. We have Ryan Grimes in the house from My IT Indie. And then next to him, we'll just go around the circle. Sure. Cameron Weeks with Sharpen. John Wexler with Launch Fishers and the Indie, uh, Indiana IoT Lab. Harry Howe with Howe Leadership. Hey, it's John McDonald from Clear Object. And it's Scott Fadness, uh, mayor of the city of Fishers. That's fantastic. I think this is, a, this, is this the first time that we had a politician in the house? I think it is. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Setting the bar low. <laughs> Don't that. That's fantastic. Well, uh, obviously you can't turn around in, uh, in Indianapolis without hearing the great news of, of what's come out of the IOT labs creation. Can anybody speak to, you know, what even ignited this? What what started the spark of conversation to get this off the ground? Well, I think it's a continuation of an overall vision to create an entrepreneurial city. And uh, we started with Launch Fishers, John Wexler and I did. And, um, you know, it just was a success beyond what I think either one of us would have probably comprehended. And then we always knew that it was like a 10 or 20 year vision and we knew it had to be broader than just co-working. And so, uh, talking to John McDonald and, and we, the three of us sat down, I don't, I don't recall the exact conversation. Maybe you two do, but it evolved over a short period of time. I think, uh, John McDonald was thinking about where his company goes next and, and Wexler and I were both thinking about what's next for us. And it just seemed like a natural progression. I don't know if you guys have something to add to that. I'm not sure it evolved over time as much as evolved over bourbon. Realistically. Yeah. You know, uh, we, we had a, Scott had a friend of his who's a, um, a cool guy at one of the local, uh, industrial manufacturing companies and came by and said, hey, you should see this really neat company in, in Fishers and talk to him for a while. And, and he did. And, you know, he left the meeting and said, you know, what do you think of those guys? Love them. Can't use them. Why? Why? And so to use an electrical term, there's this sort of impedance mismatch between the perception of how, you know, a large company can use a smaller company to be able to get big things done, right? Because all these big companies have had experiences, you know, crushing small vendors with their requests and their needs, right? So there's this need and a concept of sort of collectivizing, you know, different talent that might be necessary for IoT, people that are in sensors, people that are in network hardware, people that are in clouds, developers, ideation people, lots of really cool companies all over the city doing pieces of it, very few doing all of it, really, and very few doing all of it to the scale necessary for some of these problems that these bigger companies had. So that was definitely one of the pieces that went into it, you know. Yeah, I think also when you look at the collective, the power of a communal uh, place, uh, what the co-working locations do, Launch Fishers, Speakeasy, uh, Matchbox, uh, Cowork B-Town, all across the state. Um, individually, any one of those uh, entrepreneurs in those places might not be able to afford that super fancy laser printer or this or that. With an IoT lab, a lot of the things that we need to make that place successful – any one of those companies would have a hard time justifying a Google uh, Jamboard or uh, a laser cutter or a CNC machining uh, mill uh, device. Any any number of, of the devices that we're going to have are going to be shared across a communal base. And to me, that's what's most exciting is we're going to be able to the, uh, bring the, the best of technology uh, to bear for the IoT entrepreneurs and innovators. Uh, and that should kind of uh, lift everybody. So, John, can you give us a quick update on the status of the lab? Yeah, so uh, I'm really excited. Uh, we got the keys uh, about two weeks ago uh, to the building. So uh, we now have a beautiful building, uh, great paint on the walls, uh, and nothing in it. 
So uh, we are in the process right now of finalizing our list. We've had uh, multiple public meetings where we've invited our entrepreneurs, innovators, the engineers, the people that will be using this stuff, and we put the list on the board and said, now what do we need to add? What do we need to take off? And over the course of about eight to ten of these meetings, uh, we've ended up with what we think is a pretty good list of initial technology. Uh, from there, uh, we're going to listen closely to what others need. So we're going to start with a... Uh, uh, a base of uh, 3D printers. Uh, we're going to have an SLA printer, a laser cutter, CNC machine, uh, wood and metal making uh, stuff. Uh, we're going to have a pick and place circuit board uh, uh, printer, you know, uh, circuit board maker. Uh, we also have relationships with other locations around the Midwest, so that if somebody needs to do a small batch production run of prototype chips, uh, we can go up to Chicago uh, and use a uh, 99 component printed circuit board uh, printer. Uh, and they, you know, you bang out a hundred units uh, in a day on something like that. So we're starting out with the base infrastructure, and then we're going to listen closely to our customers, uh, the members uh, of the lab, uh, to make sure that uh, that we're adding the things that they need. M- other important point here is we have companies like Clear Object, uh, uh, Indiana University. Uh, we have other organizations that are going to come on board, uh, and they'll actually be in resident uh, at this location with a subset of their company, or in some cases, the entire company. Um, and and we'll have uh, activity in there starting here right at the end of the year. What would be something uh, surprising that ended up on that whiteboard that uh, was would be unexpected or unusual? Um, well, the most un, unusual discussion, it's not finalized yet, but we, we actually have contemplated whether or not we could build a uh, – a pipeline in between a few of the buildings that would move beer easily. Genius. We might be able to make that happen. <laughs> the problem is beer waste in all the lines. Like you, can't, <laughs> you can't have that much line going. Yeah, it's just pressure, right? You can solve, you can solve that. <laughs> and, and, uh, and maybe we'll take a step back because this is a fascinating conversation, and, and I, I happen from a timeliness standpoint just to be talking to Dell about this too and about what's happening, you know, with IoT. And I think, uh, people are vastly underestimating the explosive growth, uh, already. Uh, and then that will be coming because even, even the infrastructure from like a, a Dell invested a, a billion dollars last year just in IoT. And it's really on a vision, not, a deliverable, you know, that they're, that they're betting, they're gambling huge on this. And, and the reason being is they just see this mass acceleration of that everything from a, a soda vending machine, you know, to obviously the, the examples of driverless cars are going to be computing, passing data, having algorithms, you know, um, optimizing themselves, you know, and, and I, and, and, and these guys are now building that development safety architecture, everything to make that happen. Um, but it, it, they're making it easy as well. You know, you're talking about that, the fact that you guys can just produce printed boards, plug into the system, mm-hmm. right? Cause the, the infrastructure will be there and, and you can, you know, go from a prototype, you know, from a plan to a prototype, maybe what, in weeks? Yeah. Days? I mean, that's, that's the beauty of this is you can compress innovation cycle times uh, really uh, dramatically. Um, to your comment there, one thing that I think uh, is, is worth mentioning is uh, the mayor and I have talked uh, at length about this idea of, of 21st century infrastructure. And I think this is just the next kind of epoch, the next wave of this discussion. And that is that uh, public infrastructure to support innovation uh, is kind of that special sauce that I think we've really kind of captured here uh, in the throughout uh, throughout the state, quite frankly. Uh, but you know, we've talked about the idea that uh, roads, uh, bridges, and roundabouts, and signalized intersections are the, the that's what municipalities and states are supposed to do, right? You do that to connect a community, right, to enable commerce, and oftentimes to have targeted economic impact. Yeah. In this particular case, we're focused on this innovation economy, and IoT is is square in our sights as the, the next big thing. Yeah, I think what's really interesting is I think the time lapse between people deciding they want to go into IoT versus their consumers are going to make it an expectation is going to be very, very short, like extremely short. And so I think uh, what's great about Indiana and why we're so passionate about this is there are so many manufacturing facilities and agricultural facilities and pharmaceuticals and medical device companies and distribution here in Indiana that 
whether they choose to do it now or whether they're required to do it in the market shortly, they're going to need assistance to to get into this world. And um, and what I'm scared of, frankly, is if we don't nurture this economy of data analytics and IoT, that the the bad news about all of this is it can be done anywhere. Right. And so if we don't create it here, all of a sudden we've just wasted an, in, an incredible opportunity to bring good paying jobs to Indiana. And that's why, you know, from my perspective, investing in this infrastructure so we can aggregate that data and, or that uh, talent and really nurture what, what Indiana can become is why I think John and John and I are all very just uh, passionate about this particular issue. In educa- and in education too. You know, I uh, there's over a, a thousand unfilled uh, coding jobs in Indianapolis right now. And, and I know that it's at least a thousand because when you go to monster.com and you put in computer coding, you get 1,000 plus. And I don't know what the plus means. This is, it could be 10,000. Who knows, right? But, you know, at the same time, there are thousands of high school graduates all over the state of Indiana every year. Many of them don't end up at universities. Many of them shouldn't end up at universe for your universities. Today, computer coding and to some degree data analytics, certainly data collection and, and visualization, has become something like the modern form of a trade. Uh, it's not unlike the plumber or the electrician, right, of, of, of past generations. And, and so what's popping up now are things like trade schools for this. Uh, that's what like 1150 Academy is, right? And so what are the things that we missing? Well, we're missing trade certifications, right? We're missing licensing of that trade, right? We're missing a mechanism for, uh, doing apprenticeships, right? So you can continue your education, right? Wouldn't it be great if you could say to every student in Indiana, if you graduate from high school, unless you decide that you're going to go to a four-year university or um, you know the military, which is great options, by default, we're going to enroll you in a trade school by default. And uh, by default, we're going to uh, help you get a certification and a trade that's necessary for the next generation of Indiana's economy, be that computer coding or data analytics or, you know, business or whatever it is that we deem necessary skills. And, you know, as I was reflecting on that, that idea with some colleagues recently, they said, you know, that we'd pay for those kids' educations. Like, it's so much cheaper for me to pay for, you know, a a trade certification through like an Ivy Tech or something that is for me to go to the open market and try to recruit, you know, developers in such a marketplace where there are thousands of open jobs. So I'd love just to get to a system where we're literally turning the whole state into this brain engine, right? Where every high school kid is almost guaranteed an, an apprenticeship and not a job if they just graduate from high school, get that certification, and then we can apply that t- knowledge and talent to the to renovation of these products that our companies have in the state. Well, we're we're definitely seeing some of that. I mean, I we've been working with Butler University and who's actually open to certification programs now, and so we're helping them on like digital marketing. And that's that's the idea, is right? Is I, I actually was an electrician in my past life, you know, and so you went from you know, uh, journeyman, you know, apprentice masters, but you still had electrical engineers. You still had people that graduated with the degrees, but you had to have those tradespeople with hands-on experience to do the job. And, and I, I feel the same way from a marketing aspect. I feel like digital marketing, it's, it's a perfect opportunity. There's no reason why someone can't get a trade for content. You know, there's no reason why they can't get one for SEO. There's no, you know, you don't have to have a four-year degree for that. And I think IoT is absolutely the same way, you know. And much in the way your industry, you probably see the attempt to commoditize it. Uh, you and others that are the professionals in that space would argue, and I think uh, correctly, that it's not a commodity. Right. That That level of expertise and the experience that you have Years and years in that role, a lot of that you can't teach. I mean, that, that expertise is, is built up over time. And so the idea of entry level folks that are mentored and brought along, uh, that model is going to play itself out, we think, in coding, design, uh, IoT, and, and many other things. Well, we already see it like with the automotive industry, right? I always tell people that the, 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 the highest paid and most intelligent people at Ford are their designers and their engineers. 
but they still get the brake pads from Mexico and they still get the CPUs from the, you know, they bring in all the pieces. And I think the, the magic of the IOT lab is that as well, right? Is that, that, you know, you're still going to have an engineer or a creative person that's going to just, you know, design the, a pro, a solution around a problem. But now you can farm all the pieces out to the individuals to put that system together. And that's how marketing is working nowadays. That's how, you know, I always speak to that just because that's my experience. But it's absolutely the future of how IoT is, you know, and and is going to happen. You know, the most amazing thing about that Ford is, did you know that the car radio in that uh, uh Vehicle has more lines of code than an F-14 top hat. <laughs> Where'd you hear that? Where'd you hear that? Every, every week. I've heard that. Uh, online, everywhere, every Facebook post. Must Did be I true. Their object? Yeah, it must be true. Well, the, uh, the uh, we were joking about that before the show for everybody that wasn't on the inside scoop. But, uh, you know, they, they said it perfectly uh, when I was talking to Dell, too, that, you know, the modern driverless car literally has the equivalent of a data center you know, what a data center had 20 years ago. I mean, that's, that's what we're talking about here. And, and, um, and we've got to have the people to feed that system. But right here at the Speakeasy, Kenzie Academy came in, you know, and they take a different approach. that's really unique. And that's that they don't want to just teach someone how to code. They want to teach them how to be a developer. And it's such a, you know, the, the dream of the, the system is so good that, you know, uh, basically, you know, if you sign up for a two year, you know, training with them, they guarantee employment. That's the giant sucking sound coming from technology. So being the youngest person in the room, I think, uh, I think that's agreeable. Um, I was the most recent in high school, which is what we're talking about. Uh, it was a long time ago, but, um, you know, I personally fought this a lot. Uh, I built my first technology company in junior high and, um, became a decent programmer at that point in time. And then spent a lot of time trying to make myself better. And in the early 2000 in Indiana, there was no option for that whatsoever. Um, the high school didn't care. Um, no other high schools cared. There were no school, there was nothing like 1150 to even think about going to. Uh, and I got really frustrated with it and tried, and I've been trying for years to try to find ways to make it better. And there's a lot of movement now, which is awesome. Um, but I think it's always frustrating to me from day one, and I've used the same. This is my John McDonald car radio story of, you know, that uh, we force kids to go sit in. Yeah. We, we force kids to be in a home ec class or in a sewing class, which is going to do literally nothing for them in their life. No one is going to sew their pants back together. Like you're going to buy new pants. Um, when we could spend that 30 minutes, an hour a day per week or every day for a whole semester, teaching them the basics of object oriented programming or, uh, just some very basic technical skills that would actually give them a job that pays 50,000 plus out of high school. Mm-hmm. It's, it's incredibly frustrating to me. Well, I mean, we, I mean, we've got to change people's, uh, we've, we've got to change the system that people are dependent on too, though. Right. You know, we've got, I, I don't know how many superintendents in Indiana, right. You know, for a school district and everything else. And how many years does it take to get something through to actually become a, well, I, a lesson in I class. changed this a little bit too. So I, I was beating up on the superintendents um, and someone corrected me uh, that it's not really their fault. And I don't mean to turn this into a political thing, even though we have a, a mayor in the room, Go uh, it. but it's a state <laughs> issue. So it's not a local issue. It, it's, uh, it's a whole different topic, but uh, the issues I step there, I mean, the school yeah. has been forced to, to teach only one curriculum and that's the outcome. So, well, the, but, it, but I think it actually, it, it does go beyond like John, uh, John Qualls is passionate about, you know, talking about, about that a lot of times that he'll step into the room with teachers, start educating them, and the teachers will go, "My kids aren't smart enough to do this," wow. you know. And 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 he and and he said that it it literally rips his heart out of his chest because it's just not true. And so that's the thing is I think and and maybe we're to blame, right? We're technologists. We like people to think that this is really magical and it takes all the skill in the world and right. We, we've been, we've been upping our game for 10 years now about how much experience and, you know, everything, the tools that you need, the money that you need and everything else. When the fact is, is that someone can go to YouTube, start watching some videos, learn a trade, get good at it on their own. My, my own know. son, just before I was leaving for our indie IOT event a couple of weeks ago, it was early in the morning, came down to the, our kitchen and my son, who's a freshman at Hamilton Southeastern high school was already up and he was hunched over his laptop typing away. And I said, what are you doing? And he says, well, I'm coding. Uh, what are you coding? I'm coding a game. Can I see it? Sure. And it was like a 
Pac-Man clone or whatever. And I said, did you write that? And he goes, yeah. Uh, and I said, for a school project? And he said, no, no, just for fun. And the first thought in my head was, yes. Right. But then I, but then I, but then literally he, it was time to go to the bus. So he slipped the laptop in his backpack along with this monstrously thick, like earth science book textbook. And I thought about that for a second. I thought, which of these skills is more important to his future? Right. You know, when we set up the education system, uh, it was to teach, to be fair, people who are going to be factory workers or farmers. Exactly. Okay. And so that's why we teach things like geometry and earth science and that sort of thing. Things that are useful to factory workers and farmers. Right. But coding is going to be far more important to his future. Data analytics, group thinking, uh, design thinking, collaboration with people. These are going to be far more important to his skill. And where are those in the curriculum? And then you go back to your point, Cameron. So we say we're teaching to the test. Well, who set up the test? Right? And we say well, the teachers you know, are the problem. Who are the teachers? We're the teachers. Right? I mean, it's this is us. We did this to ourselves. Right? Yeah. So what we have to do is kind of reset that and think, what should the new test be? Right? Shouldn't the test be skills that are necessary for the data economy as the explosion of the information and software that goes in these everyday products? How are we teaching the kids to be relevant in that era all the way back into first grade and third grade and fifth grade? And it's not just teaching developers either. And you kind of alluded to it, but I think a lot of people think that all of us just want everyone to be a coder and at the end of the day, and that's it. We still need marketing people. We need finance exactly. people. We need everything, right? But if everyone can have a base understanding of the core currency that we use to run a company which is code mm -hmm. then we can all be more productive we can all achieve more and so it's not that every i personally think everyone should be an engineer like i don't think that at all but i think we if we all could have an understanding of it going into the conversation we would achieve so much more so much faster if you look at the the reason we teach the languages of the world right it was to prepare these students for life outside of school um I give major credit to the governor yesterday announcing yeah. uh, that that is going to be a requirement going forward that we teach all kids coding, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it's, it is the next language uh, of the world. And, uh, you know, French, uh, German, Italian, Spanish, right? Those PHP. Are <laughs> you better right. know the lamp stack when you get out. <laughs> right. Well, and, and there's, and I, I, to your point, even coding, you know, God, God forbid I say this, I might get, you know, slammed is, isn't going to be the future, I think, eventually, right? There's companies like, um, right here in Indianapolis, we have Datavoke, you know, which is basically they've built a, a pretty much a drag and drop interface that pulls code bases, you know, together to build a solution. Wow. And so, you know, we're even evolving, you know, past that. I think know? that's a really good point that, um, you know, it's just like a corporation anymore can't live off of a singular innovation for more than a year or two. It used to be you could innovate once and you're literally your company could live off of that for 25, 30 years and make a good living. You can't do that anymore. You have to be in perpetual innovation. School systems were never built for perpetual adaptation or innovation. They didn't have to be. For the last 150 years, things were, for the most part, relatively stagnant. So I think beyond thinking about the the end product of whether it's coding or whether it's computers or what whatever it is, I think going back to the systems thinking about how do you create an environment where adaptation and perpetual innovation in our educational system is is the core value and 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 nurtured and created uh, within the educational experience because you're right I think coding today whatever tomorrow whatever the day after that. Our schools are going to have to learn how to keep up with that. And if you're a high school teacher, think about how daunting mm. that is to figure out how you – I mean, how do you – if you're the computer science teacher in a high school in Ligoti, Indiana, how do you keep up and serve your children well in terms of educating them when every year – you go to Next Tech. Yeah, you got to. Yeah, <laughs> and you have to be a perpetual lifelong learner, right. which isn't necessarily a cultural thing that's happened. And so, I, I do think there's there's a lot of work to be done on that front. Well, and and it's getting people comfortable that the only constant is change, right? Exactly. That that you have to start putting people at ease that no, this is what's constant. Right. The the fact that we're always going to be accelerating and moving. Off the Circle is brought to you by MyITND. If you're a small to medium-sized business and need assistance with networking, security, and other IT services, contact Ryan at info at myitnd.com. 
Off the Circle is brought to you by DK New Media. DK New Media is a marketing consultancy working with some of the world's largest brands on their digital marketing and media strategies. Contact Doug at dknewmedia.com. Well, I think to the mayor's point, um, one really important thing we need to think about is that in central Indiana, in the Indianapolis metro area, let's call it, uh, we have access to some amazing talent, amazing opportunities. In university cities and towns, there's amazing opportunity. But there are a lot of places throughout the state where it's not easy for those students to get access to coding camps and to learn this uh, this type of skill and this trade for the next generation. I mean, yeah. and, and so it's important that whatever we do, uh, we do it on a footing that is open and available to everyone uh, in the state. Maybe you have this cool thing called the internet that we yeah <laughs> they're coders they should be yeah, already coding comfortable RV with, that yeah. drives around go uh, go do that remotely borrow concepts from the executive MBA programs put the kids on campus for a few nights a week or whatever and then have them do work at home and remotely I mean all you need this is a high speed internet connection and most towns and cities have them they're to their local elementary school or whatever right and it remains you dark can even just do like a remote terminal to you know a cluster of servers you don't even need the high speed internet you can get by on a dial up connection that's if right needed. i think you really got to focus so on helping the teachers yeah mm-hmm. i mean you've got to provide them the resources to be able to be helpful in those classrooms around these types of issues Good luck. Yeah. And it's, not the, it's not the teachers. It's, no. it's you know, my, I was the teachers. I actually got into technology, uh, but I was I'm married to someone who was a, a special ed teacher, and they're literally like, "Here's your here's your tablets," and just handed her like ten Android, Android tablets, which we all know what they're worth, right, Doug? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Ryan like, and I are back guys. So they're like using to take attendance. Like what? Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. She's teaching kids that can barely read, and they just hand her a bunch of tablets. You know, Indiana has a lot of, and not just Indiana, but Indiana in particular has a, from a top-down education problem in terms of real-world, you know, needs and uses. You know, higher education especially. I was reading an article about the ROI on a college education getting longer and longer and longer because it's getting more expensive. And you're not necessarily guaranteed a huge payday when you get out, especially if you can't find a job. Whereas so you're going to a coding academy or going to a, the, the new world trade schools, we'll call them, uh, your ROI is much shorter because you go for a year or two, you learn the skills you need to, you need to actually go do something real and you're done. Like in, you know, the, the ROI is like a third of what college education is. And that's, that's real world math and money right there. So we've, uh, you know, put another challenge on the table, and that is our educational system. It's very complex. There are funding issues. There are personnel issues. There is the technology infrastructure within them. But, you know, if we can solve the and be a leader in IoT, certainly that's something that can be solved if we put our mind to it. And and I would also add, let's not forget all the good things about Indianapolis. This is a unique ecosystem that doesn't exist in a lot of places. So I'm just going to pause there and let somebody else pick it up. Well, I think what, to that point, what's so exciting to me, I I mean, I'm not from Indianapolis. I'm not from Indiana. I'm from North Dakota. And coming here um, as an intern to the town of Fishers and now been here uh, about a decade, what is always astounding to me about this city and what I love so much about this area is how accessible it is. And by accessibility, you can mean something as simple as it's easily, you can move around the city physically easily, but also, you know, you can get within three phone calls, you can usually get a sit down with just about anybody of Mm -hmm. any caliber, which is extraordinary to me. And so you layer that on top of kind of this entrepreneurial passion that seems to be bubbling up here with the fact that it is such an accessible city. I feel like we're primed to develop these types of economies like the IoT that which will be dependent upon building bridges mm-hmm. and you know cross-pollinizing between um the pharmaceutical industry that's here today and some data analytics company that wants to grow here tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I feel like that is we're well poised to do it. We just need to put some intentionality behind it. Mm-hmm. But I and I I love you, your last word was perfect there intentionality because I think you know John we I met you what probably a decade ago I think you know and and you stand out amongst the entrepreneurs in the area that did say what are we going to do next what are we going to do to prepare ourselves for the future and much kudos for that I, a lot of people didn't and I think 
I think there's that side of it too, right? And as small as this little, you know, podcast is, you know, that it's, it's our, uh, Ryan and I said, we have to do something to get stories out there to, to push. And I think there's a responsibility on the business side of the table too. We can't just wait for government to step up and magically, you know, create this ecosystem that we need. And I, I, I go back Harry, you, you kind of alluded to it, but you know, back in the day it was companies who started the trades programs and started, you know, built, built the foundations of that even had hospitals internal to take care of, you know, their, the healthcare of their people and everything else. And it seems to me that that's the opportunity too, is companies just can't stand back and go, Oh, what's Indiana doing about this? We have to start being, I think a little bit pushy with our companies and saying, you know, what are you, how are you going to support the IOT lab? What are you going to bring to the table there that, that, uh, you know, so that we all can, you know, push this forward. Yeah, I, I think you're you're right on. And and you know, when you point your finger, you know, at at somebody else and say, "What are you doing there?" At least three of them pointing back at yeah. you. And, yeah. and you know, if you look at Brad Feld in startup communities and what he talks about, the first premise of the Boulder thesis is it must be entrepreneur led. In order to have the credibility, in order to attract the critical mass of entrepreneurs that are going to gather around an initiative, it must be entrepreneur-led. So I applaud what you guys are doing here because you're right. It starts with, you know, the journey of a thousand miles starts with one step. Yeah. And you, you guys are, you've taken the first few steps. And as this continues to build, it will be the thing, uh, that I think helps bring, uh, this community together. And to go back to the IoT lab and why your statement is so, so important. Step two of once we aggregate some talent there, and I think we're already well on our way, the next the next conversation is with the companies that are already here in Indiana. You know, that mid-sized manufacturing company, hey, come look at Indiana's IoT lab before you go to California. Right. Uh, so there is going to be a direct conversation with the folks that have been the pillars of industry in Indiana for the better part of a you know century is before you go shop the East coast and West coast, understand that there is talent here and we can point you to a physical location that is, if nothing else, just kind of a symbolic kind of manifestation of what's possible here in Indiana. And, uh, and so those conversations will be uh, starting here shortly where whether it's Wexler or McDonald or myself or whoever, all three of us, we will be having those conversations front and center with the Indiana companies. Well, and I think too, John, I'll, I'll let you jump in here. We, we've talked with the Indy Chamber with Michael Huber about this. Uh, you look at the statewide economy, we're roughly a hundred billion dollar GDP. If we could shift one percent of buying to in-state companies, it would be a, a profound uh, business opportunity for, for every company in the state. And so if we can just get our, our local buyers amongst these large corporate entities and then you shift that into the innovation that's going on in these uh, the, the companies that are headquartered here in Indiana, we have a really big opportunity to use our own economic engine to help fuel the growth of that next generation economy. Yeah, I was going to completely agree with that. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest things that makes us excited about the IoT Lab is it um, can maybe make this a softer approach. One of the things that Indiana has done a really poor job of compared to other cities uh, or states is the internal collaboration of our big companies working with our small companies. And John McDonald, you and I have talked about this a lot, that uh, both of our organizations have a significant customer base outside of the state versus in the state. Mm -hmm. um, because in the state, we look too small. Out of the state, we look giant. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, it, it's a different, it's a side approach, I guess, a little bit for us. But um, we're looking for that to tear down some of these walls and encourage um, local companies to work with other local companies. I got a phone call a couple of weeks ago from the CEO of a small company in Auburn, Indiana that makes igniters. Uh, they, uh, you know, like you turn on your gas stove and it sort of clicks away and lights it up and, uh, they make them for, you know, uh, hot water heaters, furnaces, that sort of thing. And have been doing it for, I don't know, decades probably for all I know. And they got a major contract with a uh, supplier to supply these for a big um, multinational um, appliance manufacturer, which is great for our economy. But that, uh, as he puts it, they have challenged us <laughs> to figure out how to embed something within the igniter that can do predictive failure analysis so mm. that they can know in advance when the igniter uh, is going to fail. And early on in the sort of journey with IoT for explaining this to people, I used to muse, you know, someday the clothes washer is going to call and say, I need new hoses. And they're going to be a dis you know, distributed directly to your door by, you know, a, a delivery man. Well, that's actually exactly what the problem is for these people. 
And so he goes, well, can you help us with that? And I'm like, I hope so, right? And so why don't you come down to our office in Fishers and we'll talk to you about that. But the significance of the story is this is a 67-year-old igniter company that is now an Internet of Things company. And the reality is every single company that makes something, moves something, or grows something is, is an IoT company. It's just that some just don't know it yet. All of them are. Right. Right. And to your point earlier, Scott, it um, doesn't have to be done here. Right. And so, uh, it can be done anywhere. He could just have easily gone over to Ohio or up to Michigan or whatever to say, can you help me with this problem? Or to somebody, you know, in, in Germany or something. Right. And so we're in a death match right now for getting these companies to, uh, change their products effectively for this data driven economy. And we got to get it together. We got to collectivize. We got to cooperate. We need help from the state in, in the forms of SAS taxation, getting rid of that, which I saw that yesterday in the governor's agenda totally awesome he was we got to get our act together here yeah yeah exactly and we got to get our act together and be able to collaborate and do it effectively because otherwise you know indiana you know might look like north dakota i don't know (laughs) 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 that actually brings up a great point about the igniters is you know compatibility with existing services you know who are they going to interact with is it another proprietary system or is it going to interact with alexa or HomeKit? or in these early hours what's happening is companies are just seeking to get data from their own product yeah. That's the, as I like to say, we're in the arms dealer phase of IoT. We're slinging guns at people who want to fight wars. <laughs> well, yeah. And some of them shouldn't be handling. And then weapons. you've got infrastructure needs. You know, are you going to throw this on your home Wi-Fi network? Mm-hmm. Are you going to have you know a better firewall or security? Are you going to limit connections? You know, these things are all real problems that are going to need solutions. You throw 150 you know IoT devices on your your you know fifty dollar Best Buy Wi-Fi. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. going to you know take a dump and, <laughs> yeah. and you're not not going to know why you know you're not going to understand these things because people the internet of things is just an easy way for people to 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 grasp and understand you know what's really the fourth fundamental shift in how our economy is organized the Mm -hmm. first one was agrarian you know uh, grow things and i'll buy them in markets the second one was the industrial revolution you make products and factories and i'll buy them from you in stores the third one i believe is a transportation renovation that occurred and some the just after world war ii is when we got you interstate highways, jet air transport, uh, shipping containers, you know, things like that, that are really allow us to move things around a lot better. Well, this is the fourth thing. It's data. It's data in all things and coming from those things. And with uh, apologies to another story that I tell all the time, the, the, uh, the world's largest uh, hotel company, Airbnb owns no hotels. Uh, The world's uh, largest retailer, Alibaba has no stores. Uh, the world's uh, largest car rental company, Uber, owns no vehicles, right? It's not a future statement. It's already occurring. These are not just uh, you know second or third ones. They're the largest one in each one of those categories, right? And Uber knows very little about you. They know you're on the street corner and that you need to go from A to B, and they know your credit card number. And on that alone, they can build a multi-billion dollar business. What if they knew more, right? So when you start to play those things out as a futurist, your head starts to pop off and how every, absolutely everything changes when you start to put all this data and analytics tools in the cloud and you start to put all the smarts in everyday products. And IoT is just an easy way to understand that for people. It's just about connecting everyday devices to the internet. But then you ask the question, well, why would you do that? And the answer is to get data from them. And that data is the valuable thing. So we are in a death match to do that right here in Indiana or or, or just going to lose, frankly. I think one of the heartening things, too, about IoT is that it's accessible to everyone. I mean, this is something where for the price of a $25 Raspberry Pi, uh, a mouse and a keyboard, plugging into your TV even, you can get in the game of coding. And so I think these coding camps and the ability to reach, to reach across all socioeconomic uh, spectrum – We'll be able to really get this in the hands of of, of kids, maybe that not, might not have a chance yeah. uh, early on to be exposed to this type of thing. Uh, gaming, AR, VR. When you look at the world that they're in right now, uh, we need to we need to give them opportunities to explore uh, that technology and and be prepared for what's coming next. I mean, you look at Vision Three, a, a company right here in Indianapolis that has incredible, so you're all shaking your heads, right, nodding, uh, incredible visualization and virtualization technology uh, to allow you to look at a Rolls-Royce engine and kind of pull it apart and look at, look at it in 3D and, and manipulate it. 
you know, you can't pick up the engine uh, and look at it if it's if it's a real one. But in a virtual one, you can literally pick it up, turn it around. You can look through the exhaust where you'd normally get your face melted off. And and in this virtual model, you can see what's happening inside of there. Yeah. It's it's fascinating technology. Yeah, and they've got the part numbers on every single part that's there so you can actually see what it is. Yeah, I've, I've known Eric for like probably a decade now, and I've seen that. Stuff's incredible. The helicopter spinning around, you just pull it apart and flip it around and see all the parts. It's absolutely phenomenal. And they did that like 10 years ago using Unity tech. Gaming Engine. Well, yeah. you you had alluded to, John, the, the kind of a call to action, and maybe that's what we need. We can close this out with because I think there's there's several pieces of it here. You know, from a... From a, let's start with government. You know, from a from a government standpoint, what should we be doing as business owners and citizens? You know, to to pressure. Uh, what should we be asking for, and what should we be pressuring our representatives for to help? You know, push this forward. Well, first and foremost, educate them. I mean, there are very few uh, elected officials that really understand this new economy. And uh, continuing to educate them, and they're not, they're not necessarily against it; they just don't get it. Yeah. And uh, and it takes repetition, you know, over and over again. Talking about these things is really important. How some of these policy things matter to this up and coming. Because I tell you what, they all love job announcements. Yeah. They may not understand how you guys did it, but they love the job announcements. Yeah. So if we can help educate everyone, I think I think that's really helpful. And then, you know. Um, we're we're oftentimes in Indiana just small thinkers and very pessimistic and very conservative and I think um, sometimes we like to uh, kind of tear down people that have these big bold ideas. Well, instead we should be saying, "Hey, look, you know, whether they win or whether they lose, whether they fail, at least we're trying to progress in the spirit of you know uh, evolution, so to speak, of our economy." And uh, I think all of that's really important to pass that message along to our local elected officials. I think, too, to that point, Mayor, the the Hoosier humility runs deep, and it's a wonderful thing, right? It, it's a great thing to be humble uh, and come at challenges with humility. Uh, but too often, we see this around the state leaching into inferiority, and that inferiority manifests itself in ways like calling out-of-town experts when you've got some of the best in the world sitting right here right. In, in this, mm-hmm. you know, right at this table even. And so, you know, I think when you have that inferiority that kind of is pervasive even in some communities, but it's it's throughout almost all communities, uh, I think that we need to check ourselves a little bit when we're thinking about who we're going to pick up the phone and call to help solve a business problem or ask advice and counsel. There's a lot of great talent uh, right here in the in the state. And I think we need to start doing uh, more together. I, lo- I love that. And I think it's, I think even being bold, I tell people that, you know, you plant your flag in the ground, let, let other people argue whether it's your, their flag that should be there or not, mm-hmm. but plant your flag and say, we're it, you know, and I, you know, I saw it with my own business. I always joke that my, my first client at DK New Media was a international web analytics company who we helped implement analytics on their server. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I, I mean, right here in Indy. Now, to your point, I, I couldn't get a client in Indy. I could, you know, I came out of the, you know, exact target and had a great network and relationship, but I was, I was an Indianapolis, you know, small business owner, you know, <laughs> but I got someone in Portland to hire me, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and then once I got a few of those under my belt, you know, then all of a sudden Indy started paying attention to me, but it was, it was sad, you know, it was sad that I couldn't walk across the, I couldn't walk across the street from my office where there was 10 different marketing tech companies that could have used my help. But they were all looking for people in San Francisco and Austin, Boston, everything else. So I, I think the first one is I think we do. We need to be really bold. You know, humility has always been one of my greatest <laughs> talents. No, but I did. You know, I mean, I planted my – I said, you know, my my site is the best MarTech site that you'll find on on the planet. When I said that, people started paying attention to my site. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a reverse. I didn't have to earn it. I claimed it first and let uh, let other people argue about that. And I think it's time that Indy started, you know, Indiana started doing that. Started. Let's start. Let's start claiming the ground and let other people try to fight us. Yeah. Well, I, stop, I, I, go ahead. Br- stop bragging about um, low cost of living as the point here. Let's own what we do. Yeah, uh, and the cool things that we build, and let's. Let's empower big ideas and, and encourage their creation, not say it's too scary. 
Um, and I would answer that question probably the same way we kind of started this podcast is, is the challenge for me and for the other companies is the, the, the engine that fuels our company is people, right? We have very little technology on site. Our job is to help you build your technology, not build ours. And so, you know, with a thousand unpaid or unfilled jobs just here in central Indiana, that's a major problem, right? We have to, we have to, uh, the challenge for us is to put pressure on higher education, uh, high school level, elementary school level, uh, teachers, testers, administrators, right? Uh, to really rethink this engine of how we deliver talent to our companies because we can be very bold. We can create awesome new venues for collaboration, communication. Communication. We can bring large companies to the table. We can be, you know, very bold about our capabilities and claim that ground as you're talking about. And if it works, we won't be able to deliver because there'll be nobody to do it. Right. So I, I go all the way down to the root kit of the problem, which is you got to start there, right? How are we teaching the kids, the future workers for our company? And if that isn't working, none of this other stuff is going to. And so, so let's, uh, the last aspect of that was we talked about government, we talked about companies, let's talk about those kids. Let's talk about, you know, what does a parent do today or what does a young adult do today or a, you know, a veteran, you know, do today to get involved with this? Where do they go? How do they start? What's there? Do we have anything? I think there's a million points of access. I mean, first and foremost, I think it's uh, John Wexler always said uh, when we started the Launch Fishers Initiative in, in our entrepreneurial city is that he wanted entrepreneurship to be a table uh, top or dinner table conversation. And I thought that was a really powerful statement back when we started this thing is that around the, around the dinner table at night when you're with your kids celebrating what you've heard about an entrepreneurial move or a company growing or a new idea that was, you know, taken on. I, I think that's very powerful at an early age to hear that. Like we celebrate, um, Peyton Manning. Yeah. Do we celebrate Scott Dorsey and Scott McCorkle and what they did? You know, all those things, right? I mean, um, that, that to me is really, really powerful stuff. Yeah. And and I think it's happening. I mean, you look at things like and they seem simple and they they may be, quite frankly, but they're very powerful. Things like Lemonade Day. Yeah. You know, when you engage a a kid on their level and you talk about how you build a business from scratch, uh by, you know, selling lemonade, right? You get some seed capital, you go out and buy your raw materials, you make your product, you market it, you sell it, you have some profit left at the end and from that profit you save some for yourself for a rainy day. You spend some to enjoy the fruits of your labor. And you give some to a philanthropic cause. Save some, give some, spend some. Right? There's Those are important life lessons that we can impart at an early age. So getting involved with Lemonade Day or these Day, uh, day of Code uh, outreach uh, programs that happen every year, right? And they're happening every month now in schools and, and different uh, after-school programs, et cetera. I think there's uh, there is a, a lot of opportunity uh, to engage at a at a very young level, and as as the mayor said, if we can make this a dinner table discussion, entrepreneurship and innovation, we're going to win. Uh, we're going to win. It's just a matter of of you know how long it's going to take us to get there. I love that. So I think Lemonade Day is, a, is an outstanding one. We talked here on the, you know, we talked about 1150 obviously being one. Kenzie Academy, which is launching, which I think people should really take a look at as well. Um, for teachers, there's Next Tech. I think people really need to, uh, uh, the teachers that have gone through that program are just incredible. And the kids, I see the kids in here. I'm lucky enough to see them in the classroom at the speakeasy. And you should see how just buzz they are about, you know, programming robotics and everything. It's, it's incredible to see. Um, let's, let's finish with resources from you guys. Uh, our clear objects guy walked out, <laughs> but there's clearobjects.com, right? Yep. Um, and, you know, and, and, uh, if you, if you are, even if, uh, if you're from a traditional company or you're working for a traditional company and you want to start learning about IOT and how it might impact your company, I think that's obviously a great place to start. Where else should people be going? Well, uh, the launch fishers, uh, website is, uh, uh, again, the cobbler's children also the most innovative, you know, the, in the innovators aren't necessarily yeah. innovating on their own website. So, uh, it it's happens. in, it's in need of a refresh. I'll, I'll uh, confess that right now, but uh, we try to collect events. Uh, we have a calendar there, uh, and so there, you can learn uh, uh, about us there. Also at indianaiot.com, uh, that's where the IoT Lab 
information will be Great. presented. The schedule of events there is soft launch uh, in the fourth quarter. So we're, we have some members that are going to start working out of there. And then in the first quarter of next year, we're going to have a grand opening. We're already working on a hackathon for April, uh, which looks like it's going to turn out to be quite an epic event. And so all that will happen at indianaiot.com. Cool. And you can learn more about Sharpens IoT at sharpencx.com slash IoT. Fantastic. What, what, what are you guys doing now? You, you, we didn't get to hear your secrets. Yeah, no worries. Um, <laughs> I was more interested in education and helping fix that problem <laughs> yeah. than, than marketing Sharpen. So uh, I'll just give a 30 second spiel about why we care about IoT. Uh, our view of this is just that IoT, is, the basic form is collecting data for diagnostics. We talked about that all day long today. Um, and so we want to empower companies to be able to present that data outside their engineering teams and into their customer service teams. And so allowing the customer service team to have direct access and insight to, to see and react to the data flowing from our IoT devices. That uh, proactive customer, the IoT gives companies the ability to have, the for the first time ever, really, truly proactive customer service. Uh, and so we've launched an IoT SDK that lets you achieve that. Oh, that's fantastic. And I, I've, I've read online that you know some of the estimates are that right now companies use 2% of their data. Right. That it's, yeah, it's an incredible yeah. I mean, not to jump in our spiel here, but um, call center agents have the highest turnover of job any job in the country uh, and the lowest job satisfaction scores. And the end result of this is the environment they're forced to work into and being kind of yelled at and screamed at for problems that they didn't cause or they can't fix. Uh, and so Sharpen's approach to customer service and our solution is to fix that for the agent, make their experience much more successful and and a much uh, more pleasant uh, for them, which in turn make a better customer experience. And so the the holy grail for us on this is IoT. It's is proactive data. It's something that we can react to the customer first rather than coming us upset, uh, speaking on behalf of our customer base. So um, that's our view into it. And we think that this data will really change the way customer service is delivered to the to the world. And once again, where do they go? SharpenCX.com slash IoT. Fantastic. And uh, and Mayor, who do you want to... I'm a politician. No one wants to learn anything more about me. <laughs> Fishers.gov. <laughs> but, but if you're up north, check out my city. <laughs> Fishers is a, is a dynamic community. And uh, really, come check out Launch Fishers and the IoT Lab. It is... It's amazing, and, and the culture up there really embraces just all of this stuff. And uh, we'd love to have you come visit. Well, and it's fantastic. Uh, thank you for all the hard work on, you know, on what you're doing with this initiative. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure that I was, uh, fully attentive to IOT. You know, I, I had to be, you know, after having my speed, my, my talk with Dell and it truly, truly opened my eyes to this wave that's about to hit. And mm -hmm. if, and like you guys said, if we're not on top of it, we're just going to get ugly. It's, it, it really is. So. <laughs> well, open invite to you guys, as the mayor said, hope everybody that's listening to this comes up. But if you ever want to take the show on the road, and do an event up there where you we all it. gather around and, and do another one with video. Yeah, we can do it with video <laughs> next time. So yeah. yeah, fantastic. Thank you. Uh, just one closing note here. You know, uh, we're always pushing forward, and I wish to God everyone dropped the phrase. It's always been done that way. Let's stop that. Let's stop saying that. Indiana is notorious for saying that. Um, let's let's drop it. Let's move forward. So Fantastic. great show, everyone. Thank you very much for coming. This is Ryan Grimes here with Doug Carr for Off the Circle. And be sure to follow us online, subscribe, and add a review. And so, a good one. We don't want bad ones. Yeah, all of our guests have our to reviews add are great. reviews. Yeah. Otherwise, we talk bad about them on the following. Just kidding. Thanks, everybody, yeah. for coming out. If you're an Indianapolis business and would like to be on Off the Circle, contact us at offthecircle.com. Off the Circle is recorded at DK New Media's state-of-the-art studio, the Speakeasy in downtown Indianapolis.